Every day is a competition against your pride, comfort zone, fear, complacency, snooze alarms, bad habits, bad relationships, and more. This podcast is for the ambitious, willing to compete every day to make an impact in their career, health, relationships, and life. Each week, Compete Every Day founder Jake Thompson interviews leaders in business, fitness, psychology, and sports to explore what championship performers can teach us about making winning changes in life. In life. By listening today, you're deciding to start competing for your best life. Welcome back, competitors, to a brand new episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. I'm excited you're here as I get to welcome to the show Lindsay Smith. If you've been a longtime listener to the show, Lindsay's husband, Webb, was in season one, and we talked about the importance of relationships and investing in people that to surround yourself with that were smarter than you and above you. And today's conversation with Lindsay is about her athletic career, which features a multi-sport playing career in college, uh, multiple trips to the CrossFit Games as a CrossFit Games athlete, uh, and now her work as a coach and athletic director at a private school in Columbus, Ohio. In addition to all of that, she's the mother of two amazing girls, uh, a wife, a leader, and just an all-around strong competitor. And so we get into the conversation around competition, about encouraging competition in our kids in a healthy, safe way. How do we encourage work ethic and drive in teams and kids that aren't our own, but we've still been tasked with almost shepherding them and leading them and supporting them. And so it's a conversation. If you are a parent, it's going to be right up your alley. The unique part of today's episode is that this is also going to be airing on our new podcast, Raising Competitors. If you're a parent that's interested in finding ways to instill grit, work ethic, gratitude, growth mindset, and the pursuit of greatness in your kids, I want to challenge you to subscribe to and tune in every week to the Raising Competitors podcast, where we'll be interviewing parents, coaches, and sports psychologists about ways that we can instill these important life lessons into our kids. What are the things that they're learning in school and in sports that we can help strengthen and teach so that they're set up to succeed in school, in sports, and more importantly, in life. So check out Raising Competitors podcast. You can find all of that information on that website, raisingcompetitors.com. So if you're a parent or you know one, please share the word, raisingcompetitors.com and the Raising Competitors podcast. So now let's welcome to the show, Wellington School Athletic Director, Lindsay Smith. Lindsay, welcome to the show this week. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm excited to have you. Obviously, uh, your husband has been on the show, uh, the Compete Everyday podcast, earlier on and, and talking about family and balance and hustle. And I wanted to talk to you similarly about some of the same things, but really competitiveness in life. Um, so sure. before we dive in, give us just a quick snapshot of what you're doing now in Columbus, who you are, uh, and then we'll dive in. Yeah, so um, currently I, uh, my full-time job is I'm a director of athletics at the Wellington School, which is a college prep uh, preschool all the way through grade 12. Um, there I also coach varsity girls soccer, um, you know, in addition to seeing over the other programs. And then obviously um, just being a mom to our two awesome daughters as well. So uh, between those two things, that, that keeps me busy these days. 
yes, you, uh, you know, I haven't met your youngest, um, but Alexis, I have a picture sitting on her bed, maybe that one, of having my hair combed when I stayed up there one time uh, and she was younger. And so I, I love just the competitive drive of your family because y'all are all about doing your best uh, in a very healthy manner, which I think is something that a lot of us need more of. We need that example. You were a three-star, a three-sport star in college, right? Did you play, was it soccer, track, and? Basketball. Basketball. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And DePaul, how, one, I'm curious, how did you manage all of those sports in college? Because that's not your typical workload. Sure. Um, and unlike probably many kids playing multiple sports at this point in time, you know, I always kind of had coaches in my ear as I was getting into the middle school, high school age of like, you have to pick, you have to pick. Um, and that was really hard for me because I loved playing multiple sports. Um, and I would say I spent probably the majority of my time off season and such, um, in high school in club soccer versus AU basketball or AU track. Um, and that, provided me the opportunity to go to DePaul actually on a soccer scholarship. So that's, I went with that mindset initially. Um, however, I got there and just missed basketball a ton. Um, and so the, you know, soccer season's in the fall, it came to an end. There were several injuries on the basketball team. So then I went to the coaches and I said, Hey, you know, I played in high school. Can I just jump in and help you guys out in practice? And he's like, okay, you know, we'll see how this goes. Um, now DePaul is a division one program, but it's a pretty, sm you know, as far as division one schools go, it's a little bit smaller community. Um, only about 20,000 students and the athletic facilities are all in one building. Unlike, you know, some other schools I was looking at where, you know, they might be miles apart. So my coach's ability to collaborate and talk about, you know, where I would be training that day and making sure I wasn't over training. Um, they were able to communicate about that a lot. Um, and so then I ended up, um, you know, after that little stint of practicing with them, their season comes to an end and the basketball coach actually asked me, you know, if I'd want to stay on and participate on the basketball team as well. So at that point in time, it was just soccer and basketball. Um, and then it, track actually didn't come into the picture until um, after my eligibility for soccer had had run up so I had competed for four years um competed in the basketball season then spring rolls around and typically that's when I would be training for um the next soccer season and I remember I was in with our strength and conditioning coach and I would just asked him I was like hey do you think I could throw a javelin and he's like well let's find out so he calls up the track coach and she came down took me outside and we just started throwing <laughs> Um, so I was just going to throw a javelin and then, um, it was kind of funny. I just kind of, I kept working out just because I knew I wanted to go try and play some professional soccer. And so then the track coach was like, well, if you're going to just run all the time, like, why don't we just try to make you a multi-event athlete? Um, so then I was doing multis and in my first year and, and it's a lot of skill. So I was just kind of like learning it and they invited me to come back for a fifth year. And so my fifth year, I just did track. So it was three sports, but it wasn't necessarily like three sports for four years. It was a little bit diced up um, just based on my experience and how it kind of all worked out. But um, did you get to play pro soccer after college? 
I kind of, I got to play semi-professional. So and it was kind of funky. Whenever I was um, in my freshman and sophomore year of college, I assumed that I'd put my name in for the draft and then probably leave um, in spring of my senior year and then finish up schooling later. Um, and the league, the professional league at the time actually folded. Um, so that opportunity uh, went away. And so then where everyone in the United States was playing was called the W League. Um, it was under the United Soccer League, but it was semi-professional um, because they were still one to provide an opportunity where current college students could play. So some players were getting played, paid, some were not. Um, and I landed a spot with a team out of Charlotte, North Carolina. So I did play three seasons with them, um, but the, the women's professional soccer league as we know it today didn't actually fire up until I think it was 2010 or maybe 2009. Um, yeah, they called me to see if I still wanted my name put in the draft and I was actually pregnant with Alexis. So, so the timing didn't work out, uh, quite like, you know, I'd hoped, but, um, I still had a great experience that period of time that I did play in the W league. That's where all the players that played on the national teams and playing so it was still a great experience that's um, awesome yeah, yeah. I, I, so I, I'm asking I'm curious about this next part because I believe a lot of the people listening to the show know you from your time in CrossFit and the CrossFit yeah, game and sure. so you've been a multiple sport athlete in college you played professionally then like a lot of us that were quote ex-athletes we get into CrossFit because it's like oh got competition again I've got a sport like I, I you get that fire and energy that you had kind of on the field on the court and then for a lot of people at some point that ends and a lot of people struggle with that identity of not being a quote athlete anymore for someone that went you know high level in college semi-pro CrossFit games at the top of the top how did you handle that transition out of what you would consider being a full-time athlete yeah, you know, and it's funny you asked that because I remember, um, you know, back in probably, so 2013 was the last year that I competed in CrossFit, and, and I remember in 2014 and 2015 um, having some conversations with Dave Castro, and he's like, are you retired? And I was just, was not even willing to call it that at that point in time. I was like, no, I don't, I don't know what I am, but I'm not retired, you know? Um, and it just kind of, it took a while for me to get there. Um, you know, I think that I had a, a unique blessing in the sense that I was still like in a world um, completely immersed in athletics. So that part of my identity, had I gone and done something like in, in a business world or something where that identity didn't help propel me in any way, I probably would have struggled a little bit more. Um, but because I, I kind of stayed in this niche a little bit, I do think that it helped support me in that way. Um, but I also think that coaching has been a great way for me to feel like, okay, you know, here is, you know, I had all these really amazing opportunities in life and this great platform, um, to experience, you know, the things that, that I never maybe thought I would get to experience. Um, and now can I help create that opportunity both for my own kids and then for, for other kids within our community. So I think for me, um, that focus and that shift, um, into coaching was a big piece of me you know, overcoming, you know, Lindsay Smith, the athlete is like a huge piece of my identity and like uh, just accepting a different type of role. I, I love that. And, and one of the things I want to hit on that you said was the 
perspective and focus you had was not on yourself, but on how you could help others get some of those same opportunities. And, and many times I think we struggle with the identity because we're solely focused on ourselves, how we feel, what's going on with us in this moment, instead of using it as an opportunity to just kind of ask where I can help others. What have I learned? Where's my experiences? What can we help others do the same? You've been coaching and training since I guess velocity sports or, or maybe before that your passions in it has been to help others. Uh, but what do you enjoy most about getting to coach and work with, with youth athletes? Yeah, honestly, I would say the relationships, um, you know, that, that are built through that, um, you know, to this day, I can, I can pinpoint coaches that made just a tremendous impact in my life. And maybe, you know, at the time I was like, Oh, I like them. They're cool. And I like, you know, stopping by their office or whatever. But now, you know, 15, 20 years removed, thinking back to a high school coach or a high school AD and like still feeling like they're part of me and have molded me into who I am. So I think for me, you know, it's, it's the opportunity, you know, walking off the field with a kid and noticing that they're just having a crummy day and just like putting pause on life and just sitting down and chatting with them. And then, you know, because of that relationship, you know, they, they feel comfortable stopping by my office and talking about, you know, challenges, both athletically and in the classroom and maybe with boyfriend, girlfriend, like whatever, you know, so for me, it's that piece of it, you know, or, or them going off to college and starting in their first college scrimmage or game and shooting me a text and like celebrating that with them. So it's definitely the relational side and, and, you know, the hope that, um, maybe I'm planting a seed, um, that'll help prepare, propel them to be, you know, a better version of themselves in years to come, whether that's athletically or, or otherwise. I love that. I love that. You've, as I mentioned before, like you are one of the hardest workers that I, I know and I've gotten to watch and, and see you compete in different areas. Have you always been that way since day one or was it something kind of as you were younger growing up, you were having to learn maybe a little more difficult way? Sure. Um, and this is a story I often, you know, share with the kids I coach as well. Um, because th they kind of make that assumption too. They're like, well, Coach Smith, you don't understand. Like, you're just this way. And I'm like, well, no, I, I do <laughs> understand because, you know, um, particularly for a soccer player, you know, I'm 5'11. Oh, I weighed 150 some pounds in high school. So I was a very big soccer player. So simply my physical presence alone, um, there were times where I, I felt like I could just kind of skate on that and I didn't have to work that hard, you know? And, and I remember I had a coach in, in high school. So I actually kicked for our high school football team and um, he pulled me aside and, and and uh, it was probably my junior year. And he was like, hey, what are your goals and this and that? And, and I always worked hard for him because I had a ton of respect for him. But he did. He planted a seed. And he, he mentioned to me that he's like, Lindsay, you know, if you want to go be a Division One athlete for, for every, you know, in our community, and I went to a big high school, but in our community, you're here. But if you look nationwide, there's so many of you. So what are you going to do to set yourself apart? Um, and so just that mentality of like, there's always somebody somewhere working harder, no matter how hard I thought I was working. And even to this day, how hard I think I'm working, there's somebody out there working harder. So to hear that for whatever reason was kind of my aha moment. And I feel like, um, you know, that's something that I try to instill, you know, even with my own kids, you know, I'm coaching a high school team. We're in preseason. They think they're working really hard. I'm like, 
I guarantee you guys, there's somebody out there working harder than us. So just kind of that mentality, but it, it did take a while. There were times I was probably a little too cocky and a little too arrogant and, you know, depending on my own devices and not that I'm proud of that, but, but, um, you know, I think that I, my mentality probably changed at, at a pivotal point that allowed me to uh, succeed in ways that I certainly wouldn't have otherwise. I love that. Well, so that leads me to my next question of if you are fortunate enough to follow your or web on social, you get to see clips of your kiddos and especially clips of Alexis out there just working her tail off, which is why I laugh. If people look at you and you're like, Oh, you're just naturally, you're, you're made to be the hardest worker. You couldn't help but think that if you see her because she's out there busting her tail too. How do you instill those same lessons of working hard and effort without being that overbearing parent where the kid only cares about the goal, the touchdown, the score, because they believe it's the approval and love. Like there's a fine line that I know, you know, as a parent and as well as an AD, how are y'all teaching the, that effort and drive into her um, and her younger sister in a way that helps them in a healthy competitive manner? Yeah. Um, so I'll start with Alexis because Adriana, she's only four. So yeah. it's, it's still, she's a whole other, yeah. Like, we take her to gymnastics, listen to the teacher, do what you're told, right? Yep. Um, with Alexis, um, you know, we're a little bit further down that journey. She's 11 um, and she's in the fifth grade. Um, and so the big thing with us is, you know, is she, is she working as hard as she can? to meet her potential and and what does that look like or what does that mean who knows does that mean individual athletics athletics maybe maybe not and we're really not obsessed or, or even care that much about that regard um it's more you know every time she steps on a field a court in a gym um you know is she putting her best effort forward and it's funny you say that because i actually asked Webb a question the other day he was filming got just a glimpse of like her basketball team, which is very, very good, um, running sprints. And she's like almost a court, uh, sorry, a half a court ahead of everyone. Like she goes and the rest of the team goes. And, and I sent him a text back and like, is she really that fast or does she just know how to work hard? You know? And, and he texts me back and he's like, I think it's a little bit both. And I think that is true, you know, because she's seen like what the expectation is. Um, and our expectation is probably very different as far as like work, just simple work ethic. Um, and, and I even, you know, I'm like any other parent, you know, it can be hard to watch your kids and hard to know when to speak and when not to. And it's funny, you know, I remember probably three years ago, she's playing club soccer and I was just like knotted up and I was like really struggling not to express that. And the first thing I did when I walked off the field is I actually called my mom and dad and I was like, thank you. And like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I didn't realize how hard this was, you know? Um, but, but, you know, I don't know that there's like a magic formula, but I think it's like knowing like what your kid is good at and then holding them to a bar of excellence with that. And, and that's never for me going to be five goals a game or 20 points a game or, you know, anything like that. It's, you know, what does your effort look like? What does your attitude look like that, you know, one thing that we always talk, and I talked to my, my athletes at the school about it, I talked to Alexis about it, um, you know, what can you control? 
you can always control your attitude. You can always control how hard you work. You can't control referees. You can't control if your opponent happens to be faster than you on that given day. You can't control sometimes if your shot's going in or not. So what can you control? And then how do you do what you control, can control to the very best of your ability? Um, so I, I, I hope that answers your yeah. question. But no. Yeah, so that's kind of like my, and I think Web 2, like our mentality about it. Um, there's so much you can't control. So let's not, you know, obsess about that. What can you control and how do we support that? I love that. And, and that's obviously uh, advice that most of us just need for life when certain circumstances hit, whether it's at work or at home. What can we control is the attitude and the effort. The, the thing I love about what you shared is the fact that it's, it's heavily reinforced by what y'all share online. And when you, when I talked about, when I see those videos and clips of Alexis, like it's not talking about how many goals she had, or it's how hard she's working, her practicing, like putting forth that effort. And I have to believe that knowing you in web, like there's a garage gym, like you're out there doing the work and she was out there watching at such a young age. And we've talked about on, Recently, one of our posts about kids watching and that kids are two times more likely to be active if they see mom and three times if dad and almost six times if they see mom and dad. And so she's seen y'all in the gym doing CrossFit style workouts that are not easy, that suck uh, sometimes, um, but she's yeah. seen that effort. So she's seen the example, even when she was younger, perhaps before she was really able to grasp that. Yeah. And I think there is something to that, right? So I think that a lot of kids, when they come into sport, um, they don't necessarily understand the difference between being uncomfortable and pain, you know? Yeah. Um, and so are you I hurt think, or are you injured? Right. Or, yeah, or are you just really uncomfortable because yeah. this is hard, you know? And so I think that is something that she's understood. And even – I will say Adriana, right? So, you know, she's like, hey, let's run here. You know, she wants to do maybe just like a run portion of my workout, which is the girls have both been that way. Like when they're little, they're like, I can run with you down the alley or whatever, you know? And when they want to stop, it's like, no, you know, like, why do you want to stop? Well, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard, but you can make it there. You know, like, yes, you might have a stitch, but once you get there, you can lay down, you know? So it's kind of like, um, understanding that, you know, just being uncomfortable is not a reason to stop or quit. Um, yeah. So I think that that kind of goes to your point, right? They see us uncomfortable, um, in many situations in, in conversations we have even, right. Not just working out, um, and decisions we make. And then it's like, okay, how do you grind through that uncomfortable to get out to the other side? Yeah. And, and I mean, they're, they're always watching regard. They're watching how you and web interact with each other as examples of how to interact. They, they see it all, uh, in us, whether we want to or not. So I want to switch gears on that to your work as an athletic director and as a coach, because some of your players don't always have that same effort and drive. They don't understand that. How are you encouraging them to kind of raise the standard on what they think is acceptable? Um, knowing that you're not their parent, but you still are somewhat their parent as a coach uh, while they're with you on the team. Yeah. Um, and this one's interesting because there's something unique that I definitely, as a captain and as like a student athlete leader, failed to recognize. And that is that not everyone is playing sport 
for the same reason. Like when I was in college, I was really hard on my teammates because I, I looked at it through this lens of like, they're all participating for the same reason. I mean, they want to be the very best they can be and they want to win all these games and all this stuff. And even at a high level, I have learned um, with age, right? Like anyone, um, that that's not necessarily the reason. That's certainly not necessarily the reason at, in high school um, and or in middle school, right? So you have kids that um, maybe their parents just want them to be active, right? So there's, you know, this parent pressure that I never experienced, but it's like a real thing, right? There's kids that um, it's a really safe social place for them. So, you know, they just enjoy being around their friends and the like family camaraderie feel of it, which for me was more of like a byproduct. It wasn't like a driving reason that I participated. Um, You know, for others, yeah, they do want to be super competitive. Maybe someone just wants to stay in shape for another sport. So there's all these different reasons and what I've found is that if you can kind of get to the root of the reason a kid is participating it's much easier to motivate them you know if I took the same approach I took when I was in college and was just like you know we're out here to win we're out here to do you know like I would lose kids and but if you can figure out the reason that a kid wants to participate and you can in some way fuel that um then i think your likelihood of of motivating kids is much much higher um so i think that's an important concept and, and then the, you know the there's the saying that that goes um you know a kid doesn't care how much you know until they know how much you care a person um and i often think about that you know about the kids um that maybe appear that they're not working hard and i think there's you know if they know you care about them, then they'll want to work harder for you. And so that's kind of, you know, a beneficial lesson as well. Um, And then I also think that kids um, respond out of fear a lot, you know, like they are afraid to say they care. They're afraid to say that they want to be a starter or they want to accomplish this. But if you can get them over that fear, then they'll actually dig in and work because it's a little easier to be like, I don't really care about that, you know, and then kind of glide versus like, okay, yeah, actually I care about that. And then going out and trying to achieve it. That's interesting. You say those two things. One, every coach, football, basketball, you name it, has echoed the get to their heart, you can get to their head, you can get them to play like that core. And we need that out in life because in companies and in businesses, it's the same way. Like if you understand the motivations, like some people are driven by money, some people are driven by other things. Like that helps your whole team excel. But really it's getting them over that fear because a lot of us have that fear. It's kind of the old way back in the day tribal mentality. You don't want to be ostracized from the community because you are out there in the wilderness by yourself. And so everything is all about how do I stay part of the group? I don't want to stand out as having these big goals or seeming too ambitious because the group socially may ostracize me. And and we know in high school and middle school, social circles in school is everything. It's the end of the world. How do you encourage them to get past those fears to kind of step into that? Yeah. um, I'll use an example with my 
soccer team particularly um you know last year um we had a we had a, we had a strong team really the past two years but last year you know we had a, a group of kids that had played together for a long period of time and it was like okay what do you guys want to accomplish um and so we had them write out some goals and and a lot of it was like i want a winning record or you know i want to start or you know just kind of like these ambiguous things and then there was one kid that said i want a regional title which in ohio that means like if you win a regional then you're in the final four for state um and so i kind of like pulled that one i'm like guys like this is like a, a big audacious goal and um and you know season goes by and, and we decided that's what we were aiming for and we ended up falling short and it was really really hard and it hurt a lot you know and, and that was one thing you know i helped the kids understand is like um when you dream big and you and truly go all in to achieve that yeah it does it hurts more not to achieve that you know but if we had just said oh we you know we want a winning record yeah we achieved that and that was you know what where is the fulfillment in that so i think it's you know those conversations and then when you have a kid that's willing to step out on a limb like um embracing that and trying to highlight that and help them understand kind of the magnitude of, of that type of decision I love that. And, and those are the coaching moments and lessons that stick with you for life of, of setting big, audacious, specific goals that they can pursue that they're going to be able to look back on that moment and remember that is one of the defining moments that helps shift their perspective on pursuing it instead of just, hey, I want to do better. I want to make a lot of money, whatever the case in their career. It's like, no, I want this and this is what I learned here. Uh, Lindsay, this has been fantastic. I could obviously continue this conversation for hours about coaching and youth. And I just appreciate your time today. For anyone listening that wants to maybe follow along with the school with you, where's the best place for them to find y'all online? Yeah, so um, I'm Linz B. Smith, L-I-N-Z-B, as in book Smith. Um, and you can find me via Twitter or Instagram. Uh, and then our athletics handle for Twitter is actually at GoJagAthletics. So um, anyone can check us out on either of those platforms. Um, would love to further the conversation if anyone has any questions. And um, certainly appreciate this opportunity today. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. Visit CompeteEverydayPodcast.com to learn how you can get connected with other everyday competitors. Contact the show and find resources to help compete for your best life.